Chapter 4 of A Girl of High Adventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne, India. A Girl of High Adventure by L. T. Mead. Chapter 4 Old Young People. Whether it was her great fatigue, or the fact that she was sleeping at last in the home of her ancestors, or the fact that there was at least one dear old man living at Desmond Town, little Margot St. Just slept like a top during the whole of that first night in the house where her mother had been born. She slept so soundly that she was quite unconscious of the fact that the Desmond, accompanied by Madame, entered the hastily improvised bedroom at the dawn of day and bent over the child. There was a look of positive rapture in both their faces. Ah, uh, but she's our Kathleen to the life, said Madame. It's the Almighty has sent her to comfort us in our old age, said the Desmond. Step softly, Madame Macquery. Don't for the life of you wake the bit thing. So little Margot was allowed to have her sleep out. But when she awoke, she stared about her in great bewilderment. Her three old young uncles and her three old young aunts were collected round the bed. The moment she stirred, Nora made that sort of whoop for which she was so celebrated, and disappeared from the room. She danced into her father's presence. She was wearing a pink dress and was attired also in a pale pink sash. Her hair was full of curl papers. She looked singularly old, but had all the actions of a frolicsome kitten. The pixie is awake, father, she said. This was the signal for intense excitement. The Desmond desired his daughter to behave herself and put away some of her childishness. I can't help being young. I am young, replied Nora. You're not. You are a withered twig, said the Desmond. Find Madame and tell her that the child is awake. Madame will see to her breakfast and try to dress like a woman of your years. Nora, you are nothing but a figure of fun in that pink dress and paled pink sash. Nora laughed, winked, showed her really white fine teeth and disappeared from the room. She found old madam without much difficulty and soon a cosy breakfast was brought up to the little Margot. She was in the midst of enjoying her second egg when the Desmond popped in his silvery head. Hello! he said. So here we are again. Yes, yes, and it is lovely to see you, Grandad. And please come and sit close to me, and send the old young girls and the old young boys away. Only Madam may stay if she likes, for she's a perfect darling. Tell her, tell her to feed me. I like to be petted, and I love really old people. But I don't like old young people to call me a pixie and a pushkin. 
with a wave of his hand which was at once imperative and intensely severe the desmond cleared the room of all his sons and daughters madam sat down on the side of the bed and fed margot who gave herself up to intense present enjoyment i'm so happy granny she said looking at the old lady and i'm so happy grandad she continued taking the old chieftain's withered hand and pressing her soft lips to it oh i am so very glad that you are both really old i don't like old young i don't really truly now you child you said madam don't you run down your aunts and your uncles they are all young and kittenish they are not merry and you know it perfectly well said the desmond the child is right she is full of sense she is exactly like my kathleen god bless her the fuss which was made over the wardrobe of little margot could scarcely be excelled there was no such thing as a modern bathroom at desmond town but a great tub which was used for washing clothes was hoisted into the room by two stalwart women then it was made the exact right heat and madam and her three daughters for nothing would keep these old young ladies a minute longer out of the room superintended the washing and dressing of little margot eileen was the quietest of the three sisters she was also the prettiest and the youngest she had been out at what was called a barn dance on the previous evening and this was her first proper view of the little arrival eileen when she was really young must have been very pretty she had the deep dark blue eyes of her country women and the soft dark hair which curled naturally all over her head and like her sisters she was not obliged to have recourse to curl papers and little margot looked at her with her soft dark brown eyes full of admiration her own dress was very plain though neat and eileen chose out of the child's belongings a simple white dress which she was to wear with a faded green sash that belonged to eileen herself you must wear it today pashkin she said as a welcome to old ireland isn't it the country of the green madam yes to be sure replied the old grandmother and you might go out and pick a bunch of shamrocks and fasten it to the front of her dress nora nora gambled like a veritable kitten downstairs she returned presently with a great bunch of shamrocks which was carefully pinned into margot's white frock are you rested now pretty dear asked nora yes to be sure i am aunt nora and i feel so so fat poor lamb cried madam she hasn't been half fed where she was yes but i have cried margot uncle jacko fed me fine and so did hannah it was a wicked woman who interfered a wicked woman lock a mercy cried bridget what in the world had a wicked woman to do with you pixie i am not allowed to mention her name said little margot don't ask me any more questions for i've taken an oath and i won't break it 
I'd like to go straight to Grandad. That's what I'd like. You can't just now, pretty dear, said Madam. He always sleeps at the Tsar, but he'll be up and about by midday dinner. You'd best come and play horses with us on the lawn, said Bridget and Nora simultaneously. No, I don't want to. You'll have that awful old man there. Is it Mr. Flanagan you mean? asked Bridget. Why, he's little better than a chick newly hatched, like the rest of us for that matter, she continued. Are you all just newly hatched? asked Margot looking with great curiosity at the figures of her old young aunts. To be sure you've about said it, exclaimed Nora. Well, I am a great deal older than you, said Margot, so I'll let you play with the newly hatched chicken, and I'll go and see Phineas Maloney. For the Lord's sake, what does the child mean now? exclaimed Madame, a little indignant colour flooding her cheeks. I mean what I say, replied Margot. He's a dear old man. He's not a gentleman, but I like him all the better on account of that, for he's got a gentleman's heart inside his skin. I'll go and see him now, while Grandad is asleep, that is, if you don't mind, madam. We'll all go if it comes to that, said Nora. Think of you picking up with Phineas Maloney, the roughest old farmer in the county. But I don't want to go with you. I want to go alone, said Margot. He and I are great friends, and I slept with my head on his shoulder all the way into Kerry. What are you laughing at? Why are you looking at me as you are doing? I'm fit to let out a screech, said Nora. To think of one of the Desmonds falling asleep with her head on the shoulder of Phineas Maloney. It's enough to make a cat laugh, let alone a human being. Then please, Aunt Nora, laugh as much as you like while I am away, said Margot. I must be back in time to sit with my grandad. I've a great deal to say to him, and the time is short. It's Sunday. You ought to be thinking of your pleasures, said Eileen, who had a more refined voice than her sister's. Mother, she can't go to see Phineas today. She really can't. Put on your pretty little white hat, Pixie, and we'll take you to church. Margot was, of course, accustomed to going to church on Sunday, and after a moment's hesitation, during which her little face looked very downcast, she agreed to Eileen's suggestion. I'll go, she said, on a condition. It's all my own. And what's that? asked Eileen. It's that you walk on one side of me and my uncle Fergus on the other. Then I'll know where I am, for you talk sense. Nora tried in vain to be offended, but as this was absolutely impossible to her nature, and as Bridget was equally the soul of good humour, the little party started for the small village church a few minutes later. Margot, looking very neat and even distinguished between her old young aunt and her old young uncle. She sat very still during service and kept her soft black eyes fixed on Mr. Flanagan. Was it possible that he was the same person who had played horses with her aunts on the previous day? 
he read the service with a good deal of force and realism and preached a sermon which was so full of irish stories that nora and bridget kept their handkerchiefs pressed against their mouths to keep themselves from screaming with laughter all went apparently well until the service came to an end but then the curate threw off his church manners and devoted himself to miss nora and miss bridget he was invited back to dinner by both of these young ladies and eagerly accepted the invitation so this is the pixie he said his eyes fixed on margot no it isn't said margot but you are the newly hatched chick mr flanagan felt his red face turning redder than usual whatever do you mean he replied just then they got inside the grounds thank heaven for all its mercies said nora i can let out a good screech now and no one will be any the wiser i said sam flanagan that you were a newly hatched chicken when she was taunting me about your age man oh isn't it fun i never enjoyed myself so much in my life nor did i for that matter cried bridget it's a pity it is sunday for we can't play horses do let's walk a little faster uncle fergus said margot turning to her uncle his grave face looked at her searchingly then he said in a quiet tone the avenue is a bit too long for a wee thing like you see i'm going to stoop put your arms around my neck so now then hold tight i have you on my shoulders as firm as can be oh thank you thank you said margot i do like you uncle fergus and i like eileen but why don't you like the others they are harmless enough poor bit things yes but they were not hatched yesterday said margot that i do know and i won't play horses with that horrid mr flanagan malachi is fit to tear his hair exclaimed fergus he has just sent off a stud of horses to dublin for sale so there isn't one he can offer ye to ride i like you very much as a horse uncle fergus said margot do ye now well that's all right did you love my mother uncle fergus to be sure but we don't talk of her why not why ever not because it hurts the old man we have to be very careful about the old man you listen child mavernin he never got over her marrying a frenchy but my father had a title he was a comet sent just as if that mattered said vergus in a tone of violent contempt a title indeed the lord preserve us the desmonds don't want any title greater than their own is it very high up uncle fergus high up the stars couldn't reach it there isn't a royal duke in england we'd change with isn't there i don't know said margot she spoke in a very soft interested voice and some day you'll have it she said yes but for the lord's sake don't mention the awful time when the old man is took from us oh uncle fergus i do love you said margot and she bent down and kissed him on his brow 
it was two or three days later that the desmond and his son fergus had a long and important conversation behind locked doors i'm willing to do my share said fergus desmond i knew you were my boy you have never disappointed me yet and i won't begin now father said the son we can't let her go said the desmond that's the thing i see your heart is set on her remarked fergus set on her it is fastened on her like a wise i don't know myself since she came to the place she's her blessed mother back again and who is that man who has the charge of her fergus is he her uncle at all at all she seems very fond of him said fergus but i don't see how he can be her uncle he has taken very good care of her all these years and never asked us for so much as a penny i tell you what it is fergus said the desmond you must go across the water and see the man and put it straight to him that we can't give her up i don't see how i can exactly do that father said fergus he's had her since she was a babe and maybe she is as much to him as she is to us fergus you talk folly is the desmond's heart to be broken because of a common sort of chap like john mansfield we must act fair said fergus and what's more if we adopt her we must adopt her properly she must be schooled she must be treated like the lady she is we don't want any more noras and bridgets in the house no no of course not of course not said the desmond she must be taught said fergus desmond and the teaching will cost money a sight of money i know a lady who'd do it he continued miss drusilla macnab she has got fine learning entirely foreign languages and all else and she can play the piano and sing to make your heart burst i might manage to settle it with her if we paid her properly but we can't have one of the desmonds disgracing herself and us by eating the bread of charity how old is drusilla macnab asked the desmond she's thirty-five father and she lives at rockingham and malachi could drive the kiddie over there each morning and fetch her back in the evening but we couldn't offer miss drusilla less than twenty pounds a year we couldn't in all decency oh lord exclaimed the desmond twenty pounds when we have scarcely got so many pence can't you and i teach the bit thing fergus no we can't said fergus she must be taught properly and like a real out-and-out lady miss macnab was educated in paris and the pushkin is going to be a wonderful beauty she must be taught according to her station she'll make a fine match some day i want her to stay with me said the desmond i don't wish for any of those fine matches for the pretty dear well it will come father for she is the handsomest little girl i ever looked at and why not said old desmond his eyes flashing a sort of blue fire isn't she her mother's child yes but she is better looking than kathleen don't fret old man accept the fact she has got a look of our Kathleen, but she must take after her father, too. She doesn't get those eyes only from our Kathleen. 
Why, they look as though you could never reach to the back of them, to be sure, said the Desmond. Well, I can't part with her, that's plain. I'm alive all over again, and quite young with the thought of having her in the house. It'll take money to settle this matter, father, said Fergus. If this John Mansfield is her real uncle, he mayn't want to give her up, and he can't be forced to give her up. It strikes me we'll have to pay him. Money settles most difficulties. Now my notion is this. You have turned against the comet sent just, although you never clapped eyes on him. When our Kathleen took him, for better or worse, you said you wouldn't see him or write to him or have anything to do with him. Then our girlene died after giving birth to the little one and then the poor Comte died also and you never breathed the name, never once, for the little Colleen. But she came to you of her own accord and you have lost your heart to her. Lost my heart, I tell you. Fergus, my man, I am mad about her. Well then, we must get someone in to settle this question. I'll go by this very night's mail to John Mansfield, and then it strikes me. Hold yourself in now, father, don't burst out. It strikes me. I might go on to those French people and perhaps they'd help their son's child. You must keep her here by hook or by crook until I get back. I'll get the address of the French people from John Mansfield. But we don't even know Mansfield's address, muttered the Desmond. Oh, I see my way to that, said Fergus. Will you put the matter into my hands, father, and I'll do my level best. There's that nice little farm of Comartes. We can mortgage that by and by to get the little bit dear a dowry. But that's for the future. I do anything on earth to please you, Dad, and Miss Dursilla McNabb can turn the wee Colleen into a fine lady. I'm thinking that between John Mansfield and those French folks, I'll manage something. Can you give me that old gold watch, father, and a couple of pound notes just to take with me to Dublin? That's all the money I'll ask for the present. The interview ended by the Desmond putting two very crumpled and, as a matter of fact, very dirty one-pound note into Fergus's hand. He then gave him the old gold repeater and told him to be as quick a boy about his business as ever he could. Fergus said as he was leaving the room, Now look, you here, old man, this is a scheme between you and me, and neither Madame herself, nor the three girls, nor the boys, Bruce and Malachi, are to know anything whatsoever about it. If it can be done, it will be done, and I'm the boy to do it. Whist, lad, said the father, where are you off to now? You leave it to me, father, I must manage in my own way. The Desmond sang back into his chair, his dark eyes deep and lustrous and with a smile playing round his lips. If only Fergus could succeed, if only he might keep the little Mavneen. He closed his eyes and slowly two tears fell over his wrinkled cheeks. He was thinking of a possible joy and of a past grief. But Fergus was the boy. There wasn't his like in the country. Meanwhile, Fergus made his way out by the backyard. 
cross the tumble down stile without anyone noticing him and made his way in a bee line to the farm which was rendered by Phineas Maloney. Phineas was one of his father's best tenants and accordingly was entitled to a certain degree of respect. He never bothered about repairs either and although the farm was going to ruin he paid his rent each quarter day like a man and never asked for improvements. What did a little drop of water matter, he said to herself, when the rain poured in through the badly thatched roof, and uh, why ever should they be bothering themselves about filling up gaps and such like? Wasn't the Desmond as bad off as himself, and was he going to ruin the Desmond? Not he. The gaps were mighty convenient for the young chickens and young ducklings to run in and out of the house and as to take shelter when it rained hard on the roof of the old barn. Yes, the farm was good enough for Phineas. If Desmondstown was good enough for the Desmond and herself must hold her chatter, for he wasn't going to ask for what couldn't be done. Thus the days went by and weeks went by. Phineas was perfectly happy in the broken-down farm, but his delight knew no bounds when on a certain morning a little figure stepped lightly across the badly kept yard, which was full of holes and numerous little pools of water in which young ducklings disported themselves. Why, if it isn't the little Missy herself, cried Phineas. He strode out to meet Margot, who put her little cool hand into his. Oh, oh, Mr. Phineas Maloney, I couldn't get away a day sooner. I love the Desmond like mad, and Madame, and Fergus, but I don't care for the young old girls. Only Aunt Eileen isn't so bad as the other two. They said they was only hatched about yesterday. When was you hatched, Mr. Phineas Maloney? You look miles younger than they do. Ah, whist, my little Akashla Makri said the farmer, Kappa it up to them that they are young and you will be as happy as the day is long. But I don't want to. I like Aunt Eileen tolerable, and I love Uncle Fergus, and I dote on my granddad and madame. Oh, I say, I had to run away to come to you, Phineas, and there is Uncle Fergus coming in at the gate. Do you want to hide from him, pretty one? said Phineas. Is it I that would hide? said little Margot. That's not me. Hello, Uncle Fergus. I ran away this morning all my lonesome to have a talk with dear Phineas. Fergus Desmond looked decidedly annoyed, but the frown quickly swept from his brow. Phineas, he said turning to the man, I want to have a few words in private with you. Take little Missy in and introduce to herself and the youngest baby. Oh, a baby! cried Margot. When, when was it hatched? Does it look as old as young Aunt Nora? Whist, whist, Missy, darlint. Come this way, said Phineas. He took the little hand and led the child into the tumble-down kitchen. No remarks, he said, if you please, dropping his voice to a whisper and introducing the little girl to herself, a handsome, blue-eyed, young women of the true Kerry type of beauty. The place is a bit shook up, I'm not going for to deny it, but neither will I let the Desmond be bothered putting it right. 
Now there's a straight tip for you, little missy. Annie, Mavernin, here's a swat little lady from the Desmond town, who I bought across the say all the way from England. She has come to pay us a call. Cape herself with yourself, Annie. I'll be back again in a twinkling. When was the last baby hatched? said Margot. Bless your little hot little missy, said Mrs. Maloney. We don't talk of childer as hatched. He's two months old. I've called him Phineas after his dadda. Oh, oh, let me hold him, said little Margot. Oh, oh, I'm so glad he wasn't hatched. My aunties are hatched about every second day, and it makes them so terrible young, and so, so queer. Isn't he a perfect darling? May I kiss him, Mrs. Phineas? Cause I'm so fond of your husband. Bless you, pretty one, to be sure you may. End of chapter 4 Recording by Anne from India